Good morning. Um, this is podcast number six, and I'm enjoying this a lot more than I thought. I thought I would hate to listen to my voice. It's not as awkward as I thought it would be talking to myself in a empty my empty office room. I'm really hoping that um, these will serve as something that other people will also find motivating. To me, podcasts are an easy way to get myself kind of out of that slump. So when I'm tired in the afternoon and I don't feel like making dinner or I'm getting out of bed rather than jumping on Facebook or Instagram, um, which kind of drain my energy, podcasts energize and revitalize me and get me thinking about what I can be doing with my day. There's definitely good and bad podcasts. Uh, Hopefully you're finding mine interesting and not one of the boring or, um, yeah, I don't know. They can be kind of I don't love the ones that are real set up and almost sound scripted, uh, so that's why I just talked to you guys. I have a few notes to go over, things I don't want to forget um, to keep myself on track, but other than that, uh, I just want it to be kind of coming from, you know, just more natural, I guess. Um, I do edit some, cut out, I say um so many times, guys, so many times, and I say like um, yeah, those kinds of things, so... I do try to clip some of that out so you don't have to listen to it all the time. I listened to a podcast where she doesn't edit at all, and I think it's refreshing, honestly. It doesn't bother me, but when I listen back, I can't listen without being like, I should just clip out that big chunk of dead space when I was trying to figure out what I was doing. So you're getting a slightly edited version. Really, I just throw on a headset and start talking, so it's not super thought through or edited. That being said, I want to change gears just a little bit. I had said in the intro podcast that I may be covering a wide range of topics. So far, I've only really covered hair. I'm sure I'll come back to it. I, When I was starting my blog and then with this podcast, I kept thinking I should narrow my focus, but I have always been a jack of all trades with everything. I throw myself into things. I try to get them done really well. I love learning new things. I love exploring new ideas and concepts. And to limit myself to one small scope is just is it's just impossible. I'm I like the idea of just inspirational ideas that when you follow my stuff, you know that you'll get sparked with new ideas and th- some things you may may not really apply to you. Maybe you don't have curly hair. Maybe you're jumping into podcast six because the first five, you didn't know what I was talking about. That's okay, too. I'd like to have a blog that speaks to a lot of moms. If you've ever checked out my blog, you've seen that I have um, different tabs with different groupings of my blog posts. Um, You can either click on the header and you'll see all my blog posts, or you can click on the groupings and you'll see, um, you know, activities for kids because we do a lot of stuff here and I don't take pictures of it all the time. It is definitely a a focused effort if I needed to get pictures while we're doing something. But you'll see ideas there of things we did that I liked or that I thought were, you know, important enough to share. I need to um, do some more of those. I have a list of ideas of books that I want to review for homeschooling and of crafts that are coming up. Um, So keep an eye out for that. Um, I have another tab that is recipes and I've loved cooking since college. Um, After art classes, I realized that cooking was also an art. Uh, My degree is in communication arts and illustration. And so 
it doesn't have anything to do with co the art of cooking, but I love um, bringing that creativity to cooking. And um, I grew up in a very typical Midwestern diet house, um, meat and mashed potatoes and rolls, you know, every, almost every day and very few casseroles and everything was very separated and, and the flavors were pretty bland. I mean, I enjoyed it, so I'm not complaining, but when I got married, um, my husband was like, what are you doing with the seasoning? Like, where is it? And so I've had to learn a lot about cooking um, from his mom. I've taken recipes from my family and changed them to some degree. Um, I still do, you know, my my favorite um, dishes. Like, for example, and this is going to be a blog post soon, so uh, stay tuned for this. But last night I decided to make one of my comfort foods, which is chicken noodles and mashed potatoes. And growing up, that was literally uh, chicken in a pot with some water and some noodles and a little bit of salt and a little bit of pepper and then mashed potatoes. And it's super bland. And my husband hated it. And then now, um, because that's a super bland dish I grew up with, I still kind of crave that, that I don't know, there's something very uh, comforting to me about that dish, but I agree that it was too bland. And so I now make it almost like a chicken noodle soup to go over the mashed potatoes. Um, and my blog post with the recipe, uh, chicken and noodles and mashed potatoes. I already have the mashed potatoes up. They're really simple. There's foolproof tips for getting your potatoes to be perfect every time. And my grandpa can make perfect mashed potatoes every time. And that sounds easy until you've tried it and your mashed potatoes came out like glue and you didn't, you were like, what the heck happened? I've taken some of those recipes that are my favorite and I've altered them. Now my chicken noodle soup isn't just noodles and chicken. There's plenty of vegetables in it. You don't notice them as much. There's lots of seasoning, It's but it's really good, but it still has that underlying, um, it's still a comfort food for me. And, and so those are the kinds of things I'd like to share with people. Uh, maybe a slightly different take on Midwestern food. I'm not a simple cooker most of the time. I, I, my cousin um, blogs over at Everyday Mom's Meals, and I think that's great. Her stuff is fast and one pot a lot of times. Um, she's written for magazines, and she's been doing it for years. She started back when I was kept starting and then not doing anything and now she has a fairly you know successful um blog and I'm over here just starting which yeah that I think that's so many people that's what I hear I wish I would have just started earlier and it's true but it is what it is I mean I think I have a lot more to share now than I did when I was first thinking about it and hopefully I won't look back and cringe quite as much on my content because I'm a little bit more mature than I was. When I look back at some of my posts, I still have, um, you know, the, the accounts and they're just, they're just not, oh, they're terrible. I, I, yeah, but you learn as you go and I've gotten so much better at photography. That's made a huge difference. Um, photography is another one I'd like to cover in this in this blog and in the podcast. Uh, I get asked questions all the time, and I love I just like helping people. I when I was a kid, if I didn't know the answer, I would kind of make it up and act like it was a fact, and then uh, yeah, I backed it based on what I thought made sense, and it became kind of a running joke in the family. And I really try not to do this now, or at least preface it with I'm not sure, but I think this would make sense. 
But, you know, if somebody asked me a question like, like, oh, why do I get so cold after I eat? I'd be like, well, I think all the blood goes to your stomach. And my sister, who was a medical, um, she was a medical major, would laugh at me. Oh, all the blood can't go to your stomach. And, you know, I would make up things that made sense to me. Like if the blood's going to your stomach to digest, it, it makes the rest of your body colder. Uh, come to find out, it's somewhat true. I mean, obviously you don't lose all the blood in your fingers to your stomach, but that's way off topic. The point is, is that I used to always just make up answers based on some really tiny little common sense or, or some random facts that I knew in my brain somewhere. I do it a lot. I do try to be aware of when I'm doing that because chances are it's not all the way accurate, but I would say a lot of times it is. I, I have a weird brain that absorbs a lot of information. Um, I'm definitely more frazzled with kids, so if you know me in the last few years, you might think that I'm nuts for thinking I know a lot of things, but I do have a brain that, that keeps track of a lot of random bits of information and soaks things up like a sponge and then you never know when it's going to pop back up. I might not remember it today, but if you ask a question, it might just pop into my head. Because of that, because of my my tendency to want to just like help people with whatever and and get better at things myself, I just I just don't feel like limiting myself at this point. Now someday Probably my biggest goal is to get into children's book illustration. I, it's a complete passion of mine. I love drawing. I love reading to kids. Um, I love encouraging kids to do artwork and teaching kids. And it's just something that I've always wanted to do, publish books. Um, I have a few that are written, and I've started. I've either illustrated them or started. I mean, they're very rough drafts, but... I definitely have that on hold right now until I can do more focus on it. It's a saturated market. It takes a lot of effort. I've known several um, illustrators and I follow a lot of people in the industry still because it's a, it's just a passion. I Even though I'm not illustrating, I love to see what other illustrators are up to. But anyways, that's another passion of mine. Maybe at some point I'll change this whole thing over to you know, supporting uh, children's book illustration if that's the route I go. I, I doubt it. I enjoy, like I said, a lot of different topics. Um, I'll probably keep it on that. So getting into where I want to kind of take a turn. Um, every year, I used to make little New Year's resolutions. I never knew really if I should stick to them or not. I don't know. New Year's resolutions, it just seems like they're made to be broken. And if you make a really, really specific one, um, that's easier to know if you failed or succeeded. But it's also a very, very high failure rate. If you do have a really specific goal, it helps you know if you're actually following through on the resolution. Um, the problem is I get discouraged if I feel like I'm failing, and then I just kind of give up, and I'm like, ah, I'll try again next year. Um, so back when I think it was about 2014 or 2015, um, I started doing a yearly focus and instead of making a New Year's resolution, I would think about my year and I would say, what do I want to do for the next year? What do I, what do I want to get better at? There's always something and it, usually it's something very practical. It, it's something practical in my life that I, I'm not very good at and I need to get better at it. And, you know, I can find information to help me get motivated to do it. I can focus on it throughout the week. Um, 
there isn't really a metric. It's just by the end of the year, I'll look back and did I get better at that thing? So if that thing is on my brain through most of the year, then it's definitely something I'm going to be, you know, pushing for. And it means that if I have a week where I didn't do it at all, then the next week when I think about it again and I, you know, try to improve, I, I, there's not a point where I'm like, oh, shoot, I didn't do what I said I was going to do. Um, you know, it's great to say I'm going to go to the gym three times a week. But what about when you have those two weeks where you were really sick and you couldn't go? Do you and do you stop? Because my tendency would be like, oh, man, I didn't do it. I broke I kind of broke my pattern of what I said I was going to do. And then I just kind of slack off and, and I may go back. But honestly, the drive just isn't there. Um, but if my focus for the year is um, to focus on just getting in shape every opportunity I have, or moving extra or something like that, then, you know, even though I missed the gym three times that, or, you know, those, those two weeks in a row, um, maybe I took the stairs a couple extra times because I'm still focusing on that. I don't have a goal that I feel like I failed. I can um, just kind of shift what my goal is. That, I don't know that that would work for everyone. For me, um, just having it in front of my face was a, you know, has been a, a helpful thing, I would say. And even though I will say that if I focus on it for that year and then the next year I'm shifting my focus to something else, sometimes that focus gets a little bit, um, you know, put on the back burner. And so the the real trick, though, is now that I've gotten better at that, I'm in a much better place to say, oh, I, you know, I'm not moving as much as I should. But I, I know what that looks like. It's an easier habit to fall back into, even if you slipped out of it a little bit, um, when you were doing it consistently for a whole year. Um, so, for example, in 2000, I believe it was 2015, um, we had just moved, and that's when it started. I think my official um, resolution was 2016. But starting in 2015, we had just had um, my second child, we were living in a pretty small house. I mean, it, it wasn't, it was about 1,800 square feet if you included the big art room off of the garage. So it was a, it was a small one-story ranch. Off the garage, there was a big, I call it an art room, but it was a big workshop room. It had to be at least 200 square feet, maybe, maybe even 400 square feet onto the back. So the house itself was probably like 1,400 square feet. And it was perfect for just me and my husband and my daughter, and it was it was definitely our first time home. We knew we were gonna move within three to five years, and we had been there for I think four years, and it was time to get ready to move. He was making a forty minute commute across town to go teach. We knew for a while that we had wanted to move, but this was really you know when we had we finally put it on the market in the in the fall of. Um, 2014 and then in the middle of that my son was born and we knew it probably wouldn't sell over the holidays but we kind of just wanted to have it on the market because it's easier to get all that done in my mind before the baby came and then just try to keep up with it as he was there but I mean it wasn't it definitely wasn't easy there was a couple months where we kind of um, didn't do showings but because he was born in December we didn't really have anyone asking in December so the house itself actually sold in the spring. Um, he was about three months old. So during the process of listing the house, you can't have a messed up, crazy, cluttery house. 
And it was during that time, you know, I'm stuffing my things into boxes and putting them out in the art room. I mean, that art room was so filled with boxes. It was insane. Um, how any, you know, potential buyers could tell that this was going to be a good space, I don't know. But my realtor's advice was put it in the art room or the garage because those are the areas that people can kind of see past. They 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 kind of just know, oh, this is, um, you know, this space. They, don't, they aren't really thinking about living there as much. Um, with the rest of the house, you know, it needed to look like somebody could just walk in and picture themselves in it. So we staged the house with our own stuff. We didn't bring any outside stuff. We didn't, I, I wanted to rent like a storage unit. And honestly, I'm really glad we didn't because as much as I wanted to just have that stuff out of sight, boxing it up, you know, similar to if you've if you've watched Marie Kondo, she um, advises you to dump everything out on like the bed of that type of thing, like all the boxes, books or all the clothes. I was putting all my stuff into boxes and stacking them. And I realized how insane it was that I had that much stuff. A few things had contributed to that. I'm definitely a cluttery person anyways. I, I just see potential in everything. I like to... Um, keep stuff because I think I'm going to need it or use it or want it. There aren't a lot of things that I look at and say we should throw it away. You know, I'll, a big piece of extra cloth, if it's a pattern I like at all, I'm like, oh, I could make that into, you know, everything stays. You know, I had so many art supplies in the art room because as a college student, I had bought a lot. And then I had started teaching at the Boys and Girls Club. And teaching kids art made me start collecting things for kids. And then I thought I wanted to do private lessons, art lessons at home, uh, in my home, like classes. And so I had been collecting things for that. But then at the same time, I was doing an eBay uh, business online. So I had a lot of antique stuff that I had picked up at auctions. Um, yeah, auctions were a really bad place for me. <laughs> I would only spend, you know, like $100. I'd bring back a whole carload jam-packed full of stuff. Interesting, cool stuff. Oh, my gosh. Even when I think about it, I'm like, maybe I should just go there. But I shouldn't. Um, it's too. There's too much potential, and there's not um, enough. I just I struggle with not wanting, you know, just a lot of random stuff just because. But I had this eBay business, and I would list things and sell and then pack them up and, and send them to the people. So all that stuff was in there, and I had so many art books because of, you know, not just college, but just that's my passion. So then I'm buying those as I see them. I loved a garage sale, so I had a lot of that, um, just things from that where I would see a deal, and I just wouldn't want to pass it up. And I had a lot of clothes and a lot of shoes and just every area was just crowded with the stuff. You know, if you walked into the kitchen, it was just a ton of kitchen stuff. I still have a ton of kitchen stuff. Um, I still have a lot of books and a lot of art stuff. But when this was an outrageous amount. It was to the point where that whole art room was full. And so what happened was as we were getting ready to list and sell the house, I started packing up boxes and just taking them to either the local nonprofits here that I thought were valuable. You know, we have a, a mission, a rescue mission here that is pretty good. And I would take them to places I thought needed them. I took a whole carload of art stuff to the Boys and Girls Club because I knew, like, when we have to sell this house, this is going to be ridiculous. And I took more than six full, I mean, packed full. I have a big SUV. All the seats go flat. I took the whole car packed full at least six times to between Goodwill and Girls and Boys. I don't even think that included Girls and Boys Club. I mean, I took carloads of stuff. 
and my house was still full. And when we went to move, um, so our house sold and the buyers paid in cash and wanted to be in the house within three days. I think it was three days. Uh, I, think, I think from the time of the agreement, though, it was seven. So we had enough time. We had like three days to go out and find a house we liked and we found one we loved. Um, we had to get the banks to hurry up and, and everybody had to run around, scramble, and make this closing happen because these um, people who are buying with cash wanted to be in town really soon. I think their house had already sold, possibly. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. Um, they're a really nice couple. I think they were just entering retirement. Uh, he was really excited about using that art room for his ham radios. And so, anyways, they were really nice. We wanted to make sure we were out of the way on time. And our church was, you know, awesome enough to come down and just basically swarm our house, help us pack up everything. Because I had most of our stuff in boxes, but there was still a good amount that wasn't. I just couldn't. I, it was hard to keep up with. I mean, I had a three-month-old, and I had a almost two-year-old. I mean, she she was a few months away from turning two. So it was a lot, and people were nice enough not to give me a hard time that I wasn't all the way ready. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those things we brought on ourselves, but at the same time, um, it was understandably hard, and and people were right there with us, and it didn't feel as chaotic and overwhelming as it could have for sure. It was pretty cool to see just the amount of cars swarm in and help. And we had the biggest U-Haul they, they rent out, and it was packed. I mean, it was packed with stuff. And then we still took a couple more truckloads, and my car, you know, my car was completely filled up too. And I think a couple more vans. I say all that to say it was a ridiculous and I still have a ridiculous amount of stuff. In fact, I was just thinking that I really need to do decluttering again. Um, I try to make it a big focus in the spring. But what I want to talk about is I had some resources that were very helpful to me during the time where I was working on decluttering. And so um, when we moved, I had all my boxes pretty clearly labeled. I, I'm pretty good at, because of how much I had to move in and out of college and um moving out of my parents' house and then my, you know, the house after, you know, after we got married, all these times, like, I'm pretty good at knowing how to move my stuff and not get completely thrown off because if I don't know where my stuff is, then I feel really lost and frustrated. So I had a system for labeling boxes that made it pretty easy to not only know what rooms they went in, because obviously just set on there, you know, kitchen, but it also, my system... Um, told me how important the things were, you know, how, how soon would I need them. And it would tell me um, what kind of some big bullet items for what was in there so that when I needed to unpack, I knew kind of what to do first. So as far as that organization went, um, it was pretty good. I did have a lot of boxes that were unmarked because, like I said, people were helping. And so they would just grab a bunch of stuff and throw it in the boxes. In fact, people were so helpful that we accidentally brought most of our paint from the old house like I, I leave paint in the cans just in case I need to do a touch-up and they packed all the paint I meant to leave for the owners and I didn't find out until we were here for a while so I thought that was kind of funny I mean I'm sure they probably repainted everything because I know that's how I am but I you know I, w I definitely would have taken that because why do I need you know a eighth of a gallon of you know teal that was in my kitchen or whatever but during my unpacking time, 
it just had struck me how much stuff we had. And it was embarrassing to me, not so much embarrassing in front of my friends. I mean, it was a little bit embarrassing to know that everybody knows, you know, how much stuff you have. But it was more embarrassing to me for myself because this is what I'm teaching my kids is normal. Um, I remember in the old house, I told my daughter to put away a book and she put it on a stack of stuff. Like she didn't even, she was only a year and a half old, but in her mind, it just went on a stack somewhere on top of a stool. I mean, it, and I don't, I mean, I, I've never been, I've never had trouble knowing what clean is. I'm just a very cluttery person. So if I clean up, I'm definitely like the trash is, is thrown away. I don't leave out, you know, messy, trashy things. But I, at the same time, I will have a stack of books on a stool. Why? I don't know. It just, it, that's where I set it. And until I stop and put it away, it sits there. So I didn't like what I was teaching my kids as far as like, it just felt like they were learning weird things about cleaning up that, you know, we're not going to serve them well later in life. And it was also hard to want to have anybody over because I never felt like my house was ready for people. And that's a huge problem on my part because I know it's selfishness for me to be so concerned about not only what people think, but like presenting myself a certain way that I don't even let them into my life. I think I'm doing it for them. Oh, I wouldn't want them to have to sit in a messy house. No, that's a lie. It's definitely for me. I don't want to have to expose this part of myself to someone else because it's embarrassing to me. Um, around the time when I was starting to think about our our new house and just kind of how is it going to look and it's full of boxes and I started unpacking and around that time I was listening to podcasts on decluttering and and reading blog posts on decluttering and cleaning up and minimalism it's just struck me that the stuff gets in my way it I mean obviously physically it gets in my way because it's literally a mess that I have to walk around or or, or you know work around but mentally it gets in my way it it stops me from feeling like I have a clear set of choices it it feels like a constant distraction and I didn't realize how much of a distraction it was until I started to declutter some areas and it's like a weight is lifted off my shoulders every time I get an area truly decluttered and I know where everything goes and where everything's at in that space for 2016 I believe that was my first year for the resolution of declutter and so that year I decided that for the next year I was going to Focus on reducing how much stuff I had, knowing where it was put, and just really trying to get my things under control, at least somewhat. Um, you know, I, I still had a baby. I wasn't pregnant, so that, you know, those are two things that will affect my energy level and, and what I was doing. But he wasn't a really little baby. We had kind of gotten into more of a groove. If you know my story at all, then you know that my second was definitely my harder one. Um, he was just a grouchier baby. It took a longer, a lot longer for us to get into a sleep pattern. Um, I do sleep train my kids. It's worked really well for me. For him, it was a lot harder. Uh, I didn't know what to do to get him to sleep through the night. I mean, and it wasn't all the way through. I was just trying to get him to sleep six hours at night. He was waking up every two hours to eat for the first five weeks and so that was a really rough time um just complete lack of sleep like very groggy and that was in the midst of having our house listed so but that was also the time when we really didn't have any showings once I finally got that under control where I could sleep you know longer chunks of time then my energy level starts to return 
and after we had moved and things kind of the dust kind of settled down that's when I started focusing more on I and I'd already like I said I had gotten rid of like six carloads so <laughs> if you can imagine before I even had this focus of de declutter I had that much stuff to get rid of and I I think that you don't realize how fast it accumulates especially if you're a pack rat like like me and you can just kind of shove it all into air, the you know closets and I don't the funny thing is, is I hate having messy drawers and closets. It overwhelms me. I don't even want to open them. I don't want to think about them. But sometimes when you're cleaning up, you shove stuff places where, you know, it's not going to be out in the way. And then that starts a messy cupboard or drawer and or a messy room. Maybe you stuff a bunch of things into a room. I, I usually have that kind of catch all room because I, I just have things I don't really know where I want to put them. And that was something I needed to tackle. Where does this go? And if it doesn't have a home, should I have it? Or do I need to give it a place where, yeah, this goes here every time? For 2016's focus of declutter, um, some of the, the um, resources I used were um, the life-changing magic of tidying up. That's a really popular one right now. Marie Kondo um, just came out with a Netflix series, um, which I have watched. Found her book really interesting. I I definitely wouldn't say I follow her methods. Um, there are things I took away from her stuff, and and that's why I guess I'm gonna do some podcasts on my own of it of of decluttering because all the resources I used were very helpful, and I would highly recommend anybody checking them out. But they weren't quite where I landed. They were just a little bit a little bit off for where. You know, I, I either I saw myself or what I needed to learn and, and where I wanted to be. Marie Kondo, and I'll probably do more of a focus on the individual resources later. Um, but she has a very, uh, I don't want to say it's an elitist attitude completely, but she kind of comes at the problems with the idea that like, well, if this doesn't spark you joy, you shouldn't have it. I want to be fair to her, but... Not everyone can just go get something that makes them feel happy. If I have, you know, a can opener, and this really did happen. I had a can opener that I hated. I hated using it. It made me mad every time I used it. A can opener costs, you know, 10 bucks. I mean, honestly, the cheap ones just don't work well. So a good can opener costs $10. Well, does everyone have the ability to say, well, okay, I'm going to just go buy this $10 can opener that sparks joy for me? I think it's helpful to really think about the things in your life that are causing you irritation because sometimes it's important to know this is causing me irritation and that's kind of ridiculous, if that makes sense. So with the can opener, I actually did end up changing it out. I think with her method, the, the, the part where it falls apart is the part where you can't always just go replace practical items with things that make you happy. And I also think that it's a huge emphasis on making yourself happy. And I think joy comes from within because you decide to be joyful um, and not so much how you feel about, you know, what happens to you or, or what, what's around you. I think my focus is slightly more on practicality. Um, clutter gets in my way. It distracts me. It doesn't, it definitely doesn't make me as productive or as, you know, just it, it's harder to be organized. It's harder to be, to be living regular life when you're living in the middle of a lot of clutter I'm far from perfect my house has never looked magazine ready I mean we have old furniture we you know I my couches do not spark me joy I'll tell you that 
we have couches here that were here when we moved in and they're old and they are ugly and they're also perfect for little kids they can i mean we don't let our kids climb on the couch with shoes we don't let them jump on the couch because you know we do think that they should still respect the furniture but you know what when i was potty training my kid pooped on the couch now how would i feel if i had spent thousands of dollars to get some beautiful couch you know that looks magazine ready and that happened i mean yeah i still would have cleaned it and i cleaned it and i washed the cushion and i washed the you know i took the cover off and washed it but I, I do think that it's hard to always have things that spark joy because, to be really honest, we don't have just extra money laying around. We can't just go buy furniture that makes us feel happy in our space because that's not what makes us happy. We're happy because we choose to see the joy in life and enjoy each other's company and, and build relationships that matter. And it's not about tidying up that makes us happy. Now, it will mentally take a load off of me when I don't have a pile of, you know, mail sitting in the hallway, which I do right now, or when I don't have some cluttery, um, you know, uh, surface in my kitchen. So I think that there is sort of a joy to tidying up, but I think that in my mind, the issue with her stuff is that she focuses on that being the crux of everything, your joy. And I think it's I think it's a pitfall a lot of people fall into right now where they're trying to seek their own happiness kind of over everything. And I definitely don't want to fall into that. As a Christian, I think we're supposed to be joyful always, but we also are definitely called to be selfless. So finding that, I don't want to say balance because it's not really a balance, finding that purpose of being selfless and being who God made us to be and seeking joy because we're called to be joyful, it doesn't mean that you feel happy-go-lucky or that you have every item that makes you happy. Uh, we live in a time and in a place where we can have a lot of the things we want. And I think that, you know, just like when Christ talked to the young ruler, it's it's a dangerous place to be because that wealth can become everything. And, and you, we don't think of ourselves as wealthy. I definitely wouldn't think of my family as wealthy. But we are in the the scope of, of what the rest of the planet and what the rest of the people throughout times, you know, even just having running water is a huge luxury. And we have a lot of luxuries, a lot of luxuries. So that was one thing I had looked at and I've watched her uh, Netflix series and she's so cute. She's so fun to watch. <laughs> but um, another one that I started listening to and I actually really enjoyed was A Slab Comes Clean. Uh, she did a podcast for a while on, um, she started blogging anonymously because she was so embarrassed and she then turned it into a podcast and just talked about the process of being really, really, you know, slobbish and then changing to, uh, not so slobbish, um, and just the process of decluttering. And I started listening to her after I had kind of already, tackled my biggest hurdles that she discussed so again I had gotten rid of those six or seven or I don't know they're probably more than that car loads of things and I had moved and kind of reorganized my stuff and I was in the process of trying to figure out where it all went and I also had been in a home that was staged like a you know for a realtor for a while and so I knew kind of my goal for decluttering because that was very decluttered and so I, when I was listening to her, 
I had gone through a lot of the bigger steps. And some of the steps, like one of her first steps for cleaning up was like, we'll throw away all the garbage. Well, that was kind of one of those duh things for me. Like, yeah, how would you not have already thought that that's the first thing that needs to happen ever is throw away the garbage. But to be fair, we all have our struggles. I mean, and she spoke on some things that I didn't even realize that were a problem for me. And when she said it, it was like a light bulb went off. And I'm like, oh, duh, that's why I struggle with, you know, putting this kind of item away because I'm not thinking this way. And so if you ever listen to her podcast, um, I used to listen to her a lot when I was at the gym. I liked her down-to-earth approach. It felt very, it, it was thought through. She was definitely organized, but she also was just talking to her audience. Another resource that I used was The Minimalist two friends who decided to basically get rid of all their stuff and I am not that extreme. I mean these guys went from regular homes like nice houses and and nice things to like a couple boxes. Um, If you've ever I think they did a Netflix series or a Netflix movie or something or maybe it was just a movie that showed in some theaters I don't remember. I didn't actually watch that. I listened to their podcast and They definitely were extreme for me. I did get into reading some things about minimalism because I was just kind of curious. I'm not a minimalist. I think that it puts a lot of emphasis on your stuff um, because you're so focused on getting down to the bare minimum. It did give me a new perspective to think about, you know, what do you really need and, and what do you really want to surround yourself with? And one of the big things I had to deal with was, are my things here because I want to think of myself a certain way or am I really using these things and again my my uh, direction with this is very practical I want to be able to use my things I want to be able to find my things and I want that mental load lifted of not feeling like I'm fighting through you know wading through the clutter and do what I need to do a beautiful space definitely does spark inspiration. I just think that it's hard not to have the focus then become yourself and how you feel in your space and and how your things are. And minimalism can definitely become, I guess, a badge of honor. You know that that's how you see yourself. So I recommend listening to them. They're they're fun to listen to. The again, slightly different focus than where I wanted to end up. And so those are three places that if you are working on decluttering and you want to kind of go more one of those routes then you know those are three I recommend I had a long ways to go it was a long journey for me over the course of more than a year trying to get there and I would say that I'm still not there I think with little kids it's just going to be hard because even just keeping up with their clothing sizes is hard but it could be done there was one of the minimalists I read had five kids and it he wasn't minimalist like the brothers where he only had a couple boxes of stuff but they were very minimal for a family and i i know people who've gotten you know kind of to that point um so it can definitely be done it's it's a matter of what you want to focus on and so um yeah i i think that the first step in decluttering is kind of finding one space and working on that one space just so that you can see progress. If you try to declutter your whole house at the same time, you're going to feel so overwhelmed. And that was kind of my biggest problem. And that's why moving was a good time when I was sparked to say, oh, I can, you know, start organizing my stuff right now and not feel quite as like, I mean, I was already overwhelmed with moving, 
but I was going to be boxing it up anyways. Where did it go? So if I could throw things in a box and take into, you know, the local um, charities and stuff, then I didn't have to take that to my house, and it was just an easy time to kind of get rid of stuff. And it taught me a lot about um, making decisions quickly because you just don't have time to get into the nitty-gritty, and you don't miss most of the things I got rid of, I didn't miss. So trying to keep that in the brain instead of feeling like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to regret it. I'm going to regret it. And then, you know, in a few months I think about the item. Oh, I regret it. I, I knew it. Um, instead, I think of an, if I think of an item that I'm like, oh, dang it, I got rid of it. Then I just try to remember most of the stuff I got rid of, I don't miss. Don't think about that one item you shouldn't have got rid of. If, you know, and try to push that out of your head because most of the things you got rid of were just going to be in your way. So I'd like to spend a few podcasts talking about decluttering. I hope that that's something that's interesting to you. It's definitely a topic that was motivating to me, and I'm not sure where this will go from here. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, you will subscribe to some of my channels, maybe um, follow, start subscribing to my podcast, um, follow my blog. I hope you stick around. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.